Hey, before we begin, I want to let you know about a new show from Curious Cast that I think you might be into. It's called Russia Rising. Putin's Russia has been accused of using internet trolls, hackers, and even assassins to influence the West. This new investigative podcast hopes to unravel the giant mystery that is Russia with the help of those who know her best. Russian trolls, hackers, Putin supporters, and even a former KGB spy. Join Global News Europe Bureau Chief Jeff Semple on a journey to find out how Russia has gone from tenuous ally to a potential global threat. Listen to Russia Rising for free at CuriousCast.ca or wherever you're enjoying This Is Why. The manhunt for two teens suspected and charged with murder is over. But does that mean closure for the countless people involved? There's certainly tons of questions that remain unanswered and likely will remain unanswered forever. I'm Nikki Reitmeyer, and this is Why. On Wednesday, August 7th, we heard the news from the RCMP. This morning, at approximately 10 a.m., RCMP officers located two male bodies in the dense brush within one kilometer from where the items were found. This is approximately eight kilometers from where the burnt vehicle was located. At this time, we believe these are the bodies of the two suspects wanted in connection with the homicides in British Columbia. An autopsy is being scheduled in Winnipeg to confirm their identities and to determine their cause of death. Up near Gillum in northern Manitoba, RCMP officers found two bodies near the shoreline of the Nelson River. Diana Foxall is a reporter for Global News in Winnipeg. Now, police are very confident that these two bodies are those of the suspects wanted for a string of murders in B.C., Briar Schmigelski and Cam McLeod. So this all happened at about 10 in the morning. Uh, we were told by Assistant Commissioner Jane McClatchy that she got a call right around then saying they'd found this and kind of everything went into motion from there. So things started rolling. The victims' families were contacted, uh, the suspects' families were contacted, and then at 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon here in Winnipeg, they held a press conference to make that announcement. Some of the first photos that we started to see in the hours following that press conference were images of two planes on a tarmac in Winnipeg with boxes being offloaded. Yes, and getting those bodies to the airport down to Winnipeg was no easy task. So again, these bodies were discovered around 10 a.m. According to my colleague, Joe Scarpelli, who was up in Gillum, it took about 10 hours to get these bodies to the airport in Gillum. They had to be transported by boat uh, from where they were found to a loading dock, and then they were driven to the airport. And each uh, sort of metal coffin, as it looked like from a distance, was placed in one plane. So each body had its own plane. Those planes landed in Winnipeg late last night, and now those autopsies are being done. So we expect to have a confirmation of identity, uh, hopefully a cause of death. And I know something else that people are thinking of is the timeline. So the last confirmed sighting of the two suspects was July the 22nd. So that's over two weeks ago. Um, I know some people are wondering certainly what happened, but maybe when did these two men, if they are indeed the suspects, when did they die? What What's kind of, what happened between July 22nd and now? Do we have any more information yet 
as to how these suspects may have died. No, and that's certainly the first thing that's on everyone's minds. Was it sort of a violent act between the two of them? Did they both sort of perhaps decide to kill themselves? Was it an animal? Was it starvation? Was it just succumbing to the elements? We don't know. We did ask Assistant Commissioner Jane McClatchy that yesterday, but she was very tight-lipped, as RCMP have been throughout this investigation. For them to say that they're very confident that it is the two bodies of the suspects yesterday, um, they really haven't said much throughout the past couple of weeks without being 100% certain or very, very near that. So we do not yet know, unfortunately, how these two men passed away. Two bodies have been found. We are assuming that they are the bodies of these two suspects, these two murder suspects. To some degree, that does hint at closure. The story has come to some conclusion. But overall, with a broad brush, we can't say that everyone involved does have or will ever have full closure, can we? You're absolutely right, Nikki. Um, I mean, we say closure is in the manhunt is over. And certainly, well, the, while police may be saying the manhunt is over, um, there's certainly tons of questions that remain un- unanswered and likely will remain unanswered forever. We don't know a motive. We don't know what happened. And we may never know those things. But certainly for the families of the victims, they have to deal with this for the rest of their lives. Same for the families of the suspects. If the suspects are indeed dead, as police believe they are, they're going to have to deal with that for the rest of their lives. Um, for the residents of communities up north, Gillum, York Landing, Fox Lake Cree Nation, the large police presence is over, the manhunt is over. But again, having your community turned upside down for more than two weeks now and just kind of having to lock your doors and be on high alert at all times when you're used to just having a very welcoming atmosphere and being outside all the time and not locking your doors, that's going to take a while to recover from. So you're right to say that closure has been achieved. Not quite in this case. The manhunt is over, but certainly the lingering effects from this case will be felt by many, many people for quite some time to come. Closure, such an interesting concept. It's still seems so far away for so many people that were affected by this story. Entire communities like Port Alberni, where Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski are from, or Gillam, Manitoba, a town of just 1,200 people that suddenly and unexpectedly and unwantedly became ground zero for their manhunt. John McComb is the morning show host on 980 CKNW in Vancouver. And he spoke with the mayor of Gillum. Joining me on the phone now is the mayor of Gillum, Manitoba, Dwayne Foreman. And uh, mayor, we appreciate your time very much, of course. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. When this news came out, I can imagine that the, the entire town just... Just breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, tell us what this uh, development has, has meant for your town. Uh, I, I think it's exactly that. The community can finally just put their shoulders back and, and not have such a high stress point on themselves uh, worrying about uh, whether the, the two suspects are in the bush anymore or in the area. So thankfully we have closure on that. Before the police showed up, before these two suspects showed up, what was, what was life like in Gillum? Gillum is just a, a small-knit community. Uh, everybody knows everybody. Uh, we don't even need Facebook. We just know what's <laughs> happening in the community. 
a great, great town. I grew up here. Lots of people have come and gone, but over the years I've, I've gained a lot of good friends. And when we travel down uh, to the Winnipeg area, 1,200 kilometers away, you always run into someone that has been to Gillum. So it's uh, one of those communities that kind of has a, a Kevin Bacon kind of feel to it wherever you go. <laughs> it's kind of a six degrees of, of Gillum, Manitoba, I guess. There it is, yeah. <laughs> it's a place where everybody everybody knows everybody, and I guess everybody must help out everybody. And it's a place where uh, we kept hearing over and over that uh, you know, you don't lock your doors. You weren't worried about anybody breaking in, and and that all of a sudden goes away. And the the town is now uh, there are more RCMP and military guys than you can count. What was that like for you as the mayor? Oh, it, it was very different. Uh, I'm used to walking outside and seeing kids play and uh, families out walking. And uh, for the first few days. Uh, it was almost like a ghost town to me. Uh, hardly anyone out of their houses. Everyone kind of locking themselves in. It was uh, it was not the normal Gillum that I was used to, but understandably so. Everybody's going to protect themselves and their family, and that's what I wanted. I wanted everybody to make sure that they ensured their safety. So uh, it was different for myself, but uh, understandable situation at hand. Describe for me a little bit about where the two uh, bodies were found, because I'm I'm hearing that it is, you know, we talk about the bush, you know, I was in the bush, but this is, this is really dense stuff. This is the bush. This is the bush, yeah. <laughs> uh, you could take a joke that uh, I could send my friend in to the, the tree line. He could probably walk in 10 feet with an orange jacket on, and you wouldn't see him. Wow. Like, uh, it's it's very thick uh, trees around here, bush line. It, it's not your everyday bush. It, it's thick up here, and there's marsh and uh, rough terrain. It was a rough trek for all the RCMP members that were doing everything they could to find these individuals, and uh, super proud of them. Uh, is it true that the the bugs in Gillum, uh, the mosquitoes, are the size of your fist? Oh my God, no! <laughs> <laughs> I, jo- no. <laughs> I, I, I joke, but they are pretty big, aren't they? Pretty big. We used to, we used to have shirts that uh, sold in in the community that had uh, uh, mosquitoes, and it was it basically took up the size of your shirt, and uh, <laughs> and it's sucking out a small little human. Uh, like, uh, they're not. That big, but it means, unless you have a really tiny fist, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, it's good to hear you be able to laugh and, and joke a bit after uh, what your you and your town have uh, have been through, and uh, hopefully life can get back to uh, being a little bit more normal now. I sure hope so. I think it'll uh, start tra- taking a turn quite shortly. Coming up later in this episode, hearing stories like this in the news. Stories that are this emotionally provoking. What toll does that take on your mental health? You're listening to This Is Why, a national radio show and podcast from Global News. The RCMP held a press conference to announce the news. The manhunt was over. 
two bodies, believed to be the suspects, had been found in dense brush about a kilometer away from the Nelson River in Manitoba. Finally, they said, there was a bit of relief for the people in Gillam, the town that had become ground zero for the manhunt. There's obviously a certain amount of relief um, that we were able to locate these people and, and hopefully bring some closure not only to the victims of the homicides, but to the people of Gillam, Fox Lake Cree Nation, York Landing. Ilford Warlake Nation. It's 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 huge to be able to hopefully give some people uh, an opportunity to exhale and to hopefully eventually go back to normal and not being afraid of who's out in the woods anymore. But a story like this one can affect more than just the people directly involved. It can affect everyone, people just like you and I who hear about it in the news. So I decided to call up an expert to see what toll bad news can have on our mental health. My name is Dr. Nabli Mona. I'm a clinical psychologist in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and an assistant professor at the University of Manitoba. So with stories like this one, stories that have affected not just one province, but essentially the whole country, I imagine there's a lot of people who have been affected by this news. The news that three people were murdered in British Columbia, then the news that a manhunt was taking place across the country, and now the news that the two suspects have been found dead. What do we normally see coming out of events like this when it comes to the emotions that people feel? I think in the days following difficult events like this, uh, individuals who have been affected by this news or who live in affected communities might experience uh, a really broad and diverse range of reactions. Uh, Some of these reactions might include uh, thinking a lot about the event in the following days or feeling a bit more on edge than usual, having disrupted sleep and experiencing difficult feelings like anger or anxiety or sadness. Um, And it's important to remember that any and all of these reactions are okay and often form a part of the process of us processing and making sense of what happened. Um, For some individuals who have been previously affected by certain trauma, these kinds of events might serve as triggers or strong reminders and bring up some difficult feelings. And I think it's important to remember that For most people who experience or learn about traumatic events, uh, these reactions will decrease and go away eventually after a few days. Um, And it's if they persist or don't dissipate or even begin to worsen that it can be a sign that maybe seeking the help of a mental health professional like a clinical psychologist could really help to work through some of what one is experiencing. I imagine with the way that technology works nowadays that it can be really hard to remove ourselves from these types of news stories. It's so easy to go down a rabbit hole when you hear about something like this in the news and just keep searching up more stories on your phone and looking and looking and looking on the computer and reading more information. It must be very hard for some people to disconnect and get away from that news. But I imagine that's probably also very important to do so. I think being able to kind of check in with yourself and self-monitor about kind of when this information is starting to 
become overwhelming, affect you more than you'd like it to, and kind of offsetting this information and this news and social media and other platforms um, with kind of other really simple things that can help with kind of the collective recovery process. So social support, for example, is a really strong protective factor and checking in with one another about how they're doing about this or feeling about this can be really helpful. Um, sticking to routine uh, can be um, really important. So carrying on with daily and planned activities uh, and such, um, because sometimes when we're feeling kind of strong emotions, we might have the urge to retreat or isolate or avoid. Um, and these can actually prolong uh, some of these reactions and keep them going. Um, so kind of sticking to kind of as normal a routine as possible can be helpful. <clears throat> And then, um, you know, these might be, um, especially in these first few days, a time where a bit more um, self-care uh, is needed, um, which can include things like making sure you're eating at regular times and getting exercise and physical activity or in a good night's sleep, uh, engaging in relaxing activities, uh, et cetera. Thinking back to studying psychology in school, I'm reminded of all the different tricks that our mind can play on us, especially when you hear of events like this. And one term that pops to my memory is availability heuristic, this tendency to overestimate the likelihood of an event because it's so relevant in our mind at the time. I think the example my professor gave me was with shark attacks. We hear about them in Hollywood, so we think that the likelihood of them happening is so much greater than it actually is. I imagine that with stories like this, when we are bombarded day in and day out with the news of two potential serial killers on the loose, that it must increase people's fears and their perception that this is more normal than it actually is. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that that um, can lead to kind of increased fear um, and anxiety uh, for some people. Um, and so I think uh, in those moments when we're having thoughts about how, you know, these events appear to be really common and occurring frequently, it's important to remember the exceptions, right, and to look at things like actual statistics and um, the good things that don't always make the news, um, but that happen day in and day out all the time, just as kind of a balance and check for ourselves uh, that just because events like these are so prominent in the news and in the media uh, doesn't mean that they are likely, doesn't mean that they're happening a lot. And so it kind of helps us check into this idea of um, events being, yes, um, possible, uh, but, but unlikely um, and kind of rejigging that for ourselves. Since we've been talking about mental health and the way that news stories like the manhunt story can affect us, I want to make sure that I list for you a few options available to find mental health services in your area. 
So first, if you live in Manitoba and you're listening to this, there are mental health services that you can reach out to if you want to. Go to the website cpmb.ca. The Government of Canada has a whole webpage designed to help people find mental health services in their area for people in other provinces. Kids can call the Kids Help Phone at 1-800-668-6868. And for First Nations and Inuit peoples, contact Hope for Wellness at 1-855-242-3310. This Is Why is produced by John O'Dowd and me, Nikki Reitmeyer. It's a national radio show as well as a podcast. You can download, subscribe, or listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. Give us a rating and a review. You can also email us, thisiswhy at curiouscast.ca, or follow me on Twitter, Nikki, N-I-K-I underscore Reitmeyer, R-E-I-T-M-A-Y-E-R. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. 